it's the moment that you realize that those ups and downs aren't necessarily failures or huge successes, right? You just kind of ride it because that's part of the business, right? That's part of what you're doing. I think when you learn that, when you get kind of through that, you can learn to be comfortable with the quote unquote failures. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm Alan Draper. I'm excited for our guest today, an entrepreneur after my own heart, as I like to say. Edgar Blazona is the founder of Benchmade Modern. We're going to get into that just a little bit, but here's the kicker. He inspires people to think differently, solve difficult problems, and follow their entrepreneurial dreams, even when all odds are against them. And that's exactly what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is help entrepreneurs get to the next level and pursue their vision and their goals. So welcome to the show, Edgar. Glad to have you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about, I know you have this kind of unique story with your education, not necessarily graduating from high school and how that propelled you into being an entrepreneur and a business founder. Give us a little background. Tell us a little bit about that story and how that made an impact on you in your professional career. Sure, sure. Yeah, when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. You know, it's kind of the gold rush here, right? So, you know, how do you fit into the gold rush? And, you know, I was in high school and I wasn't super interested. I was like a young skater, graffiti artist. At the time, I had a little graffiti business called Graffiti Graphics. I was like kind of figured out how to monetize my friends. And, you know, we started painting into, you know, the nightclubs and and all of that. So I started out this entrepreneurial thing really young, found that I was pretty good at talking my way into things and kind of presenting myself, so to speak. I ended up making some furniture. I had a small apartment. I had no money. You know, I was I was like just trying to get by. I was like a little punk ass criminal, you know, for a minute there, you know, and and I was trying to get by and, and I made some furniture and I ended up selling it to a gallery and, and that kind of started my furniture career, but I was still, you know, pretty much in high school. So wasn't that long after that, I dropped out of high school and kind of started off on my path and, you know, furniture brought me money and it was kind of more money than I'd ever seen before. And so I, I just kind of stuck to that. I started, you know, welding up some, you know, metal furniture, some custom stuff here and there and and all that. And, And it really kind of transpired into what, you know, I've become today, which is, you know, a furniture dude that's been in the furniture business for, you know, 25, 30 years, literally out of high school. That's interesting. And I feel like it's like that with a lot of first businesses where it's, you know, and I get asked the question a lot, like, hey, I want to start a business, but I don't know what industry to start it in. I don't know exactly what I want to do. But a lot of entrepreneurs just fall into stuff. Yeah. And so if someone approaches you with that question, hey, I want to start a business. I know I want to be an entrepreneur, but how do I hone in on an industry, a specific service or product? What do you say to them? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, yourself, right? And I, I sort of make fun of founders who who pick, 
just whatever random topic that they're going to go solve, right? And I think that, you know, a lot of capital is raised by, by people who are just, you know, solving some problem, but they know nothing about the industry, you know, and so starting your business comes from something from within, right? Finding something that, you know, you're either been around or your family's been around or, or something that deeply interests you, not just, I'm going to go solve this problem. You know, donuts, you know, are made at a certain time of the day. And if we made them at this time and study says that we'd sell more at that time, you know, some dumb stuff like that, that kind of tends to push people into these directions. I think that you got to really find it from within because, man, there are so many ups and downs when you start your business. If you're not like totally vested in this thing, like, I mean, really vested, like you love this thing then it's hard to ride those ups and downs and it's hard not to quit early. So you took your business, you took Benchmade Modern and grew it to a significant level. And now it sounds like you're not super involved in the day-to-day. Talk about that process. Talk about what it was like kind of moving on to something else and what that did in terms of emotionally for you. I own quite a few businesses. I've never really exited one yet. I buy things, but I hold on to them. My wife says I'm a hoarder. I buy real estate, but I don't sell it. Talk about that. What was it that made you realize like, hey, there's something missing? Or what was it that kind of brought you to that point where you were you decided to move on? Yeah. So you know, Benchmade Modern was this business that I started, you know, I don't know, seven years ago, right? And so it was this hole that I found in the furniture business, right? Why do we wait so long to make sofas? You know, just kind of stepping back just a hair. Why do we wait so long for sofas? So I went to solve that problem. I kept hearing about it at dinner parties. Everyone, oh my God, I got the sofa and I waited, you know, six months, blah, blah, blah. And it sucked. So I'm going to go solve that. So then I grew this business and built it and sold it, right? And then I was at the, you know, basically company that I went to disrupt, right, in theory, bought me. I then had to go work for them. You know, at one point they said, you know, we bought the disruptor, but you sure are disruptive, right? So I spent three years there working and I knew this time was going to come, right? You talk about that emotional side, that mental side of, when am I going to step away from this business? And, you know, all the upside had left, you know, I'd finished all that in three years, three and a half years. And I knew this time was coming. So what am I going to do? And it's a weird feeling. I mean, you touched on it. Like, this is my life. Like I am a furniture designer for life, yo. You know, like I live that. I feel that. Like I'm the sofa king, you know, and I, and that comes from my graffiti days, right? The king of this, the king of that, right? I am the sofa king. And so how do I step away from that, right? And it's a tough thing. It's a tough mental thing, right? How do you leave what you love? And I think, you know, for me, I had to start to envision, you know, the next phase of that. You know, what can I do better? Now, I have a nine-month non-compete. So I'm on the bench for nine months, right? which is, it's tough for a guy like me, right? I'm like grinding away at ideas and whatnot. And, but, you know, going back to where we were earlier, it's all in the furniture business, right? So I think I'm going to kind of, you know, move off just slightly and work on outdoor furniture, right? I think that's my next thing. Now, 
you know, maybe in nine months, one day, I'll be back in the sofa business as well. However, I'm going to start working on outdoor where I don't have a non-compete. And, and I think that's, you know, that mental thing that you were kind of talking about, it's hard to, to really disconnect when it's truly your passion, right? And so I've had to kind of take it on the chin a bit, but know that I'm going to step up and do it again, which is a whole nother thing, right? You got to bet on yourself again at this age, right? I'm 50 years old, right? Back today, I'm 51, just today. So Happy birthday, man. <laughs> thank Good you. Day. Thank you. You know, so how do I do it again, right? I got to bet on myself again. And that's a you know, as an entrepreneur, as you know, it's hard to always be betting the farm again. And here I kind of step off into the abyss and I just have to have the confidence that I can do it. I think entrepreneurs and I think people generally, we always have our demons, right? We always have these thoughts that creep into our head. And, you know, with me, I've had some success in business and I'll have these thoughts that creep into my head like, oh, you just got lucky like, hey, the market was right. I honestly think that there's a lot of luck and timing that go into business. You pair luck with your hard work and just not giving up, you are going to succeed. I have those thoughts like, hey, man, I did it once, you know, and I've done it a few times now, but I still get those thoughts like, no, that was different. Like, and so I hear you a hundred percent that when you go all in on a business that, even though you've done it before, it's like, hey, we've got to figure this out, right? This isn't, nothing's guaranteed. And I think that's one thing that makes entrepreneurs special is that there's something greater than, you know, the potential loss for us that's at stake. I agree. I think you kind of hit this luck thing, you know, I don't think it's luck, right? I think we make our own luck. I don't think we're lucky individuals at all. I think the people that put themselves out there tend to put themselves in a position to either make it or fail, to capitalize on something that's that's happening, the timing. You mentioned timing, right? You know, you made this decision, you were whether you knew it or not, you're looking at the market, you're kind of surveying things, something is clicking in your head, right? Something is starting to kind of click to say, you know, I think this might be something interesting to do. And I think there might be some legs here. And suddenly you start putting yourself and you put yourself in that position to either make it or fail, right? And I think that that's the luck, right? Then the times change and there you are ready to capitalize. I really strongly believe in that. And it's that stepping off to the abyss, you know, part that's the scariest, especially if you've never done it before. But I almost think it's more scary when you have done it because it's like the follow-up, right? It's, you know, B2 or whatever it is, right? Now you really got to prove yourself, right? It's not just luck, right? It's, it's, we make our own luck, that kind of thing, right? And, and Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting that you kept mentioning you either succeed or fail. My relationship with failure has changed starting and owning several businesses. And one of the way that has changed significantly is I used to think that it was you either 100% succeed or you 100% fail. I swear I thought that before I started a business. Then I realized, no, like I fail every single day. Like my companies don't collapse, but I look at those failures as some of my greatest learning opportunities. 
I'll make a mistake with an employee. I'll lose a really good employee because I did something stupid or said something stupid or didn't promote them or whatever. And I look at those as failures. And the reason why I do that is because if I look at those kind of micro failures and I treat them as such and I recognize them and I learn from them and I don't just skip over them and attribute them to something else, what I'm doing is I think I'm avoiding the catastrophic ones because I'm so focused on getting those little things right, you know, taking those mistakes and saying, okay, not doing that again and recognizing what role that has in in my businesses. I think it helps me. And I've just tried to come to terms with this concept of failure because it's been so instrumental in helping me become who I am. I think what you're talking about and and what you touched on is, you know, there's this ride we ride, right? This like up and down and up and down and failure and success, right? One day it's like, oh my God, the doors are crashing. My business is crashing. Maybe you bring back the employee thing. You, you know, employee quits and boy, you're in trouble and this kind of sucks and all that. And, and suddenly you think like, God, my whole thing is crashing around me. My life is crashing, all that. And then like two hours later, someone calls and says, you know, I'm going to take 27 of those, you know? And then suddenly you're like, dude, I'm the richest dude ever, you know? And it's the moment that you realize that those ups and downs aren't necessarily failures or huge successes, right? You just kind of write it because that's part of the business, right? That's part of what you're doing. I think when you learn that, when you get kind of through that, you can learn to be comfortable with the quote unquote failures. For sure. I went to this seminar, I actually paid this guy, he's known as the Iron Cowboy. And he, I think his name's James Lawrence, wrote a book, but he did 50, 5-0 Ironman triathlons in 50 days in 50 different states. So he did them all in a row. So 50 in a row, but he also had to travel. He did his first one in Hawaii, tried to knock out those, you know, the furthest state. So on one day he did the, you know, triathlon, the iron. So not just a triathlon, an Ironman in Hawaii. Then the next one I think was California. And then strategically around the United States, finishing Alaska or whatever it was. But he talked about how one of the keys to his success was he never let himself get too high and he never let himself get too low. I think that is the key to success in anything, right? Because when you are up to that extent, right? When you are that high and you're like, oh my God, then like the smallest thing is like the deal breaker. I talk people through that a lot. When people ask me, you know, what what are two words of advice you can give a budding, you know, entrepreneur? Like that whole thing. Honestly, that's it. You know, the other one is, you know, (laughs) ask for advice, get money, you know, ask for money, get advice, right? That and, you know, don't ride the highs too high, the lows too low, right? Just kind of find that stability. I think those are the two things to success in a startup entrepreneurial type business model. 100%. And you talked about money. I know that you have experience with fundraising. And I get asked a lot from people that are starting their business or they're really starting to hit a growth period in their business about how to get additional funds. And I always tell people there's really only three ways to get it. You either borrow it, you save it, or you raise it. So what is the right way to raise funds for a pre-revenue company? Well, I think it really matters on what you're building, right? I mean, you know, one would argue 
argue that a furniture business isn't venture fundable, right? You know, many people would say that the furniture business in itself is spread too thin. And, you know, there's all kinds of businesses, there's too many businesses, and none of them have reached what really venture capital is looking for as the new, you know, it used to be a hundred million, you know, as the threshold. Like if you're not building a hundred million dollar business, then you shouldn't be raising venture at all. That was kind of like the rule of thumb, at least here in the Bay Area. Now it's kind of seems like that's that's moved. You know, these unicorn businesses have kind of moved that goal line. So I think a lot of it has to do with what you're raising, right? Are you building the next Google, you know, are you building some giant data, you know, tech startup, then, you know, venture capital might be the way to go. I think that also, you know, when you are looking at your business and it's, you know, let's say you want to open a store, right? You know, maybe going to the bank might be a better way, right? You're showing revenue. But if you're building a pre-revenue business, like, like you mentioned, I think you have to, you know, friends and family it, you know, maybe sell all that you can, you know, your house, your this, your that. I mean, you're really going to bet the farm and make sure and raise enough to make that work. But again, stepping back, you know, the round of, or the type, I should say, the type of money that can be raised, a lot of it has to do with the business, the business model in itself. What are the pros and cons of the different types of accumulation of funds, a loan versus venture capital versus, you know, friends and family round or whatever? Yeah, great question. What are the pros and cons? Here's a fun one. When you raise venture capital, it's not your money, right? And at least in the Bay Area, it's it's kind of, I mean, the truth be told, like you're raising money and you're taking someone else's money and you don't have to pay it back necessarily. Like if it fails, it fails. You don't have to give the money back. You have to be building a business that could be that could be venture based, right? But now, along with that, come some handcuffs, right? Come some serious handcuffs, right? You've got now a board. You've got you know you're an early stage company, and you've got a lot of people that have influence in your business, right? They want to see things from you, you know these points of success, right? That it's tough. And man, when you are, you know, you're working on your monthly or bi-monthly recaps, business recaps, and you're sending out this thing, you're like, you know, my business is failing and it sucks. And then everyone's emailing you back, like, you should do this. And are you doing this? And, you know, everyone's mad at you. It's, it's hard, right? So, so having that sort of, you know, person like kind of on your shoulder is a lot of weight, right? And those venture capitalist people, they're picking you because you're going to be able to handle that weight. So they think, right. You're going to, you're going to be able to take that criticism and all of that that comes along with venture capital with raising that kind of money. And you're going to know what to do with it. Right. Then there's bank money and bank money is interesting because you're not giving away as much of the business. Right. But you're probably putting your house on the line, right? Or you're putting something big on the line with your bank capital, your own personal, you know, debt load and your own personal finances. And, you know, if the business goes bad, you're going to have to declare bankruptcy, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to have long lasting personal ramifications. And so, and then there's like friends and family, right? That's another route, right? You know, taking enough money to get your business to be cash flow positive through friends and family. 
But then you got your friends and your family on the line, right? And I don't know what's worse, you know, friends and family, bankruptcy or or venture guys, you know, busting down your door telling you to, you know, make a right turn when you think it should be a left turn. You know, all of those things come to play. None of them make any more sense than the other unless you have a particular business with those particular needs. So I've never really raised a significant amount of funds. I did start a business with a family member and we've done quite well. But yeah, talking about friends and family, I think if it's bad, it's worse with friends and family than others. But I also think if it's good, it's better with friends and family than it is with others. The problem is you don't know until the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think that let's just step back and say, this is not like Aunt Sally who's given $20,000 to you, you know, and it's like, that's her $20,000. She's like saved it half her life. If you're going to go friends and family, like going to the uncle that's got three businesses that understands business, right? That understands it, that this thing could go south, right? You know, this thing is like likely to go south. And that dude is getting into it because he thinks there's some upside. Maybe he's helping you out, but he's probably because he thinks there's upside for him, right? Or her. I think it's important to pick very wisely. Do not just take money to take money, right? If you're going to just take money to take money, then go raise venture, right? But again, you got to have a business model that's capable of, of raising venture debt or venture you know, dollars, right? Those guys... They don't want their capital back until you are a unicorn, right? Don't bother giving them 50K back. They don't want their 50K back. And they're going to push you until you are a unicorn. That's their whole model. I think that if you're not quite sure in your business, maybe that's the, the model to pick. But know that they will see right through your shitty business plan, right? They will see right through all that stuff that you are thinking in your head that, well, maybe I don't have the best business and you know, maybe I should raise venture so I don't have to give the money back, that kind of thing. So I think with friends and family, I think there's this tendency for us to kind of sugarcoat some stuff. And I love that advice. Like make sure that you're going to people that can actually afford to lose it. Yeah, right. And that have some business savvy that are familiar with the amount of risk regarding venture capital it seems like and correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of it that they're investing in they're investing in the idea i think but don't they look a lot at the founder and the team isn't that a really big part of it it's changed over the years right you used to go in and pitch with some deck right well, way back in the day you pitch with an idea right now you pitch with a deck but then these days, you know, today you got to have revenue, right? You got to have a team in place. So somehow you had to raise money. You had to go to friends and family. You had to, you know, put your house on the line or sell all your stuff or whatever. They are investing in the team. I think investing in the team is a little bit overrated. I, th I think they're investing in the founder, right? They're investing in the fact that you have a team, but they're looking at the idea too, right? They know, I think track record maybe has more to do it with it than the team, right? I think, you know, in my case, I've got a decent track record now, right? They, you know, I've raised capital, I sold the business, you know, the whole thing. And, and I think that that's important. 
I think that track record, and I think this goes back to what we were talking to in the very beginning. You know, Edgar Blazona is not going to start the next Slurpee store, right? So when I go to pitch my new Slurpee store, they're going to be like, yeah, right. But when I go and pitch my new outdoor business, they're going to have some eyes, right? I'm going to have some eyes and they're going to want to invest in me because of that track record. No matter who I have, you know, of course it helps. I got some good names and some people around me, but, but I think second stage is very second, you know, version two or, you know, business number two is very different than business number one, or I've never even been in a business before ever. So would you say that venture capital looks at previous businesses almost as a form of current revenue? Like, could you compare those two things where it's like, okay, this guy has a track record. 100%. This guy, you know, we're comparing apples to apples. Like this other guy that we're considering doesn't have a track record, but he has revenue. Which one's going to carry more weight there? I think the track record guy carries more weight, frankly. I think that maybe the guy who's building the business that doesn't have track record, but has some revenue and maybe has an idea that makes more sense might win in the long run. But that's solely the idea there is the kicker, right? If it's some new amazing thing, then that's the kicker. I think the guy who's got the track record you know, you see it. Those guys always can raise money real easy, right? They've already been through it. They've got friends in investment and tech and all that. And, and you know, friends and family are way more eager. I mean, let's look at friends and family, right? Imagine going to your uncle and being like, hey, uncle, you know, I want to build a Slurpee store. And and the uncle's like, but you never even run anything. You never even worked at 7-Eleven. And, you know, then you got the uncle that's like, you know, you're like, hey, I want to build this Slurpee store, you know, I had a great franchise thing or I I did this business and I, you know, I'm going to give you money for that Slurpee store, even though maybe it's not the best idea, but now I'm betting on you, right? And I think that's where the betting on you comes to play. Again, I cannot say it enough. If you're going to start a business, pick something, I think, pick something that you know something about. People are going to take you much more serious than if you're just picking some random thing that you think you can solve and, you know, happen to like at the moment. That's fantastic. Edgar, where can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about what you're doing or they have questions about some of the things we've talked about today? Yeah, you can always find me on Twitter, Edgar Blazona on Twitter, you know, LinkedIn, you know, just a common search on Google. You'll find all kinds of great stuff about me. And a lot of those places have links and all that. So happy to chat, happy to continue the conversation, give advice. I'm always eager to you know, kind of help out and kind of give back, so to speak. Love it. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much, Edgar, and wish you nothing but success, my man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.